Welcome to The Scientist Speaks, a podcast produced by the Scientist Creative Services team. Our podcast is by scientists and for scientists. Once a month, we bring you the stories behind newsworthy molecular biology research. This episode is brought to you by Sinobiological, a reagent supplier and contract research organization specializing in recombinant protein production and antibody development. Sinobiological has developed the world's largest recombinant viral antigen bank, Provir, which has been widely used in therapeutic antibody, vaccine, and immunodiagnostic assay development. Viruses such as influenza and SARS-CoV-2 are constantly evolving to better infect their hosts. The appearance of new variants often diminishes the effectiveness of existing vaccines that were designed against pre-existing strains. In this episode, Nikki Spodge from the Scientist Creative Services team spoke with Patrick Wilson, a professor at the Gale and Ira Drucker Institute for Children's Health at Weill Cornell Medicine, to learn about strategies for making universal vaccines that account for pathogen evolution. Every fall, scores of people make their way to the doctor's office or pharmacy for their flu shots. This ritual can be frustrating, as formulation efficacies vary from year to year, which raises the question, why can't scientists make an influenza vaccine that results in lifelong immunity? Vaccines prevent illness by presenting parts of a pathogen to the immune system. The immune system responds in part by stimulating B cells that secrete antibodies and form an immunological memory that protects against future exposures. Unfortunately, vaccines are not always foolproof as the relationship between the immune system and pathogens is complicated and changes over time. When viruses infect a lot of people and the viruses are dividing, they accumulate mutations. Influenza mutates at a very high frequency because it doesn't proofread If it makes a mistake as it's replicating, that mistake just stays. They'll accumulate mutations on their hemagglutinin protein, norminidase protein, or the two surface proteins that are important. This allows them to adapt to our immune system. You have this immune response and you have memory cells protecting you from this virus. The virus will then divide and try to mutate away from that immune response and be able to infect again. That's called antigenic drift. Every year we have to think about what influenza strains go into our influenza vaccine because they drift every year, changes, and it sort of adapts. In addition to antigenic drift, some flu types can change dramatically through antigenic shift. This process can occur when different influenza viruses infect the same cell. Influenza's genome is made of eight single-stranded RNA segments. When multiple strains find themselves together, their genomes can shuffle to form a new flu virus that is often unrecognizable to human immune systems. The viruses may end up carrying new combinations of the surface protein hemagglutinin, which is important for viral attachment and entry, and neuraminidase, which influenza viruses use to escape host cells. The new protein pairings are often harder for the immune system to recognize. If the new flu strain transmits from human to human effectively, it has the potential to cause a pandemic, like the 2009 H1N1 outbreak where a virus with genome segments from swine, avian, and human flus likely came together in pigs and then spread to humans. Scientists constantly surveil the flu variants that circulate around the globe to forecast which strains will dominate in the upcoming flu season. This prediction must happen months ahead of time so that vaccine producers can make and distribute the yearly formulation. However, as viruses mutate, the dominant strain can change from the original predictions. 
which results in a still beneficial but less effective vaccine come flu season. To avoid this iterative process, Wilson and his colleagues are working on a universal vaccine that would impart immunity against a wide range of current and future influenza strains. So when the viruses are mutating, they can only mutate certain parts that will allow them to escape immunity, but they can't destroy their own function. There are parts of the virus that can't change because the virus will lose its fitness, it'll lose its ability to infect or to divide. We want to make an immune response to parts of the virus that don't change when the virus is mutating and drifting. We also want to find parts of the virus that are shared between human and animal viruses like influenza. We want to stop both the annual change of the virus, so we get vaccinated once, and we want to stop the virus from being able to cause a pandemic by mixing with the animal viruses. Wilson looks for hemagglutinin epitopes that are conserved across many influenza strains and that induce a protective immune response that either kills or neutralizes the viruses by preventing them from infecting. However, finding an epitope that does both is not trivial. Some are conserved not because they are essential, but because they are targeted by antibodies that don't stimulate a sufficient immune response. Instead, these epitopes act as decoys, distracting the immune system from other epitopes on the same or different viral proteins that would induce a protective response. So the conserved epitopes that are necessary for viral function seem to be the best vaccine candidates. But these are sometimes overlooked by the immune system. The virus has evolved so that those conserved epitopes are more difficult for our immune response to target for various reasons that we know, some that we kind of understand, others that we don't understand at all. We're still studying why would our immune response target something that can change very rapidly versus a conserved functional part of the virus. Most of the current vaccine candidates are reductionist approaches where we take an influenza, we keep epitopes that we want in various ways and remove the epitopes that we don't want. So we remove things that are dominantly targeted but not protective and try to maintain the parts of the virus that are the same for all viruses and that are critical for viral fitness so the virus can't mutate them in the future. Researchers from the Icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai are currently conducting a clinical trial to test a chimeric hemagglutinin-based universal vaccine. Hemagglutinin is shaped like a mushroom with a stalk attached to the viral surface and a cap or head that interacts with host cells. The human immune system prefers to target the head domain. However, epitopes in this portion mutate quickly, allowing mutants to escape immune recognition. The stalk domain is critical for hemagglutinin's structure and function, so many of its epitopes are conserved. An exposure to this domain results in the host stimulating broad neutralizing antibodies that target diverse influenza strains. The chimeric design combines a familiar human stock, which most adults have had previous exposure to, with the foreign avian head. This forces previously existing host B cells to interact with the stock domain, leading to their expansion. This left a target that's conserved that we would have immunity to, that we would preferentially target instead of the parts that could change. And so that concept is then being adapted in many ways. What my lab is doing, for example, is to make mosaic antigens. So we take hemagglutinin and only save those conserved regions and then replace the rest of the molecule to maintain its function with parts from viruses that we've never seen before. Third way to do this is to take 
a large panel of different hemagglutinins from different species or different strains. You then are putting them all in at once. The only thing that will be conserved on, on all of them will be the parts that are highly conserved. That would be the most common target then in that vaccine approach. Identifying which epitopes are broadly conserved and that elicit protective responses is the key to designing a vaccine that imparts long-lasting immunity even in the face of antigenic drift and shift. To locate promising, underappreciated epitopes, Wilson recently used broadly neutralizing antibodies collected from people previously infected with or vaccinated against influenza, including people enrolled in the chimeric vaccine trial. Using electron microscopy, Wilson's team found the epitopes that the broadly neutralizing antibodies targeted. Notably, many antibodies that bound the stock domain came from the clinical trial participants and those exposed to or vaccinated against the 2009 H1N1 pandemic strain. This was a brand new virus in humans. It was in animals before. And so only the functional conserved parts of the virus were identical to what humans had seen before we ended up making an immune response to these highly conserved epitopes between human and animal influenza strains that were also protective. This opened the door to say, okay, by using a very different virus with just these few conserved epitopes, you could now make a vaccine that would be broadly protective. This particular newly appreciated antibody target, which Wilson called the anchor epitope, is found at the base of the hemagglutinin stock. The broadly neutralizing antibodies that bind the anchor epitope protected mice from a lethal dose of a mouse-adapted H1N1 virus and a strain of influenza from 1947, which circulated before any of the human antibody donors were born. These data suggest that inducing antibodies against the anchor through a vaccine containing this epitope could protect against a variety of influenza strains with the H1 hemagglutinin subtype common in circulation today. The current COVID-19 pandemic has spurred Wilson to also study SARS-CoV-2 by isolating neutralizing antibodies from patients and tracking memory B cells after infection. While emerging variants raise alarms and extend the pandemic, SARS-CoV-2 has different reasons for mutating and evading the immune response, which Wilson thinks places it on a different path from influenza. First of all, unlike influenza's error-prone genome replication, SARS-CoV-2's polymerase proofreads and attempts to fix its mistakes. This causes the virus strains to mutate at a much lower frequency than influenza, which will likely result in fewer new variants as time goes on. The reason we're seeing so many variants now is mostly because this is a virus that was in animals and it's transitioning into humans. It has to mutate to improve its fitness in people. It's rapidly accumulating mutations that will allow the virus to be more transmissible. The second thing that's happening is that it's adapting from being a virus that has dealt with bat immune systems to human immune systems to having much more rapid immune adaptation. These kind of pressures are simultaneously causing a greater frequency of mutations. The hope is that as this pandemic becomes more under control, there's fewer people infected, so that means less virus. There are more people that are vaccinated, so the durations of infection will be shorter, the um, amount of virus that people are shedding will be reduced, and so this should significantly reduce the chances 
for coronavirus to mutate, in the end, you would expect that while we'll still have yearly influenza variants, coronavirus variants in the future will be much more rare. As the world waits for a time when SARS-CoV-2 variants don't make regular headlines, researchers like Wilson use techniques reminiscent of the universal influenza vaccine effort to develop broadly effective COVID vaccines. By isolating antibodies from patients and those who have received a current COVID vaccine, researchers identify conserved and protective epitopes on SARS-CoV-2 antigens, such as the spike protein. Future vaccine formulations may target specific epitopes in a fashion similar to influenza vaccine strategies. There's still a lot of other coronaviruses in animals. The risk is still there that we could get another zoonotic transfer and it could adapt and it would be a very different coronavirus. There was funding from the NIH to develop vaccines that would be protective against all coronaviruses or as many as possible. We have an ongoing effort to identify new antibodies to these more conserved portions. It has been amazing. The whole scientific community came together so strongly to push forward. And and so we know a lot now about how to control coronaviruses in the future. Thank you for listening to The Scientist Speaks. This episode was produced by the Creative Services team for The Scientist and narrated by Nikki Spodge. And thank you to Sinobiological for sponsoring this episode. Please join us for our next episode as we learn about the unique strategies that Staphylococcus aureus bacteria use to avoid the immune response and cause infection. To keep up to date with this podcast, follow The Scientist on Facebook and Twitter and subscribe wherever you get podcasts.